Hi and welcome to the Beyond Darkness podcast created by Nana Hanfgang Jensen and Nadja Mattioli, a knowledge sharing platform for artistic practice and artistic research. For more information about our work, please visit bdmatterinmotion.com and for your questions and comments, you can contact us at bd.matterinmotion at gmail.com. Today we are at the Danske Scenekunstskole in Copenhagen, Denmark, together with Michael Beitner, who is a light artist and also a teacher here. We hope you enjoy this episode. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and for our listeners who don't know you, who you are and yes, maybe a little bit about your artistic practice. Yes, uh, I'm a Danish-based, uh, Copenhagen-based light designer or maybe I should call myself a darkness designer. I haven't really, uh, I'm still struggling with that. Um, and that's maybe also why you brought me in here today Uh, I also teach at the National School the Danish National School of Performing Arts uh, and I also do artistic research in darkness Mm -hmm. okay thank you so we were wondering um, something that we're asking everyone Um, what for you is movement hmm it it's a it's a quite um yeah it's something i've been pondering actually also uh, a while i've i have a a background working with uh, lighting design for dance i've been doing that for 20 years uh and during <clears throat> during a, a long period of that work uh i slowly started to view movement uh in different kind of different ways i used to perform myself uh so practicing movement uh and watching movement is quite for me quite different um and in terms of lighting um i have always always actually been quite interested in the movement of light mm. Um I've never really liked light that moves uh, by itself <laughs> in terms of, uh, you know, moving lights. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see it very much in concerts, uh, especially concerts uh, or live music uh, venues where you see all these often beams of light moving mm-hmm. all the time. And in some cases it it can be fantastic, but it also takes your... A lot of your uh, awareness and puts it pulls it towards mm. the light, and this can be for me. Um, I think it's a balance of this. Uh, lately, I've been very much interested in in what happens when light changes, mm. when the f- it fades, and for me that is also a movement, yeah. um, and how it changes what we perceive mm. uh, in many ways. Um, 
changing shadows, directions, uh, intensity. And it's it's a thing that's that's being discussed actually a lot um, in lighting design in general because now uh, a new thing is happening. During the last 20 years, uh, there's been a revolution in lighting. The light source has been digitalized. Hmm. And we're still in the um, kind of the early phase of this. It's a little bit like when we went from gas lighting to electrical lighting. Hmm. It takes some years, there's a transition. And it, in the beginning, it's kind of a, a curiosity. And people are like, oh, that will never be a thing. <laughs> you know? And it's, oh, it's complicated and doesn't look as good as the old <laughs> stuff. And, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, we're going through all these uh, steps. But now it's evident that, that it will just continue. Mm. And the growing applications of light is, uh, is becoming, uh, it's becoming uh, mind-blowing. <laughs> what you actually can achieve now. Mm. For instance, you have cars. Let's just take the Tesla car, for instance. <laughs> it drives by a light uh, radar where it gets information from its surrounding, using light also, a LIDAR, it's called. And and so light is information. Mm. And you can tap into this information. And now because we have computers and microprocessors that are really strong, we can begin to work with this information because it's been too much mm. previously. This information has been like so so dense that you had to have rooms filled with computers. <laughs> now you have telephones that can actually start to work with this. Uh, and that's quite incredible. And this will develop further uh, and is developing very fast. Mm. And we're seeing also the first computers working with light uh, instead of cables. So they are mm. computing with the speed of light instead. Okay. And this is the first step to building quantum computers. <laughs> and quantum computers are going to be beyond what we can imagine. <laughs> this was the short answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but it's very hard to talk about uh, light without getting into... Uh, science and mm. uh, basic understanding of the universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah. But that leads very much yeah. into the next question. Um, so maybe you can talk a little bit about the, the medium that you're working with, so light, and what are some of the basic uh, properties and how do you then work with that artistically? Mm. Yeah. So uh, during my uh, practice, it wasn't kind of foretold that I would work with light. Mm -hmm. It wasn't something that uh, interested me in at a young age or something. I wasn't into physics or <laughs> stuff like this. I actually didn't know what I wanted to do. So by coincidence, uh, I went to a, a school where there was a, uh, a teacher that kind of showed me uh, a little bit about lighting, but I was still very much interested in performing mm -hmm. and storytelling, actually. But that t didn't turn out very well. The, it's a long story. <laughs> but uh, by accident, I, I got to work at an internship at a theater doing light because I thought, oh, I don't know, this acting is too hard and too weird and I don't know. But um, but working with light actually uh, set off my curiosity. Mm. I've always been very curious, especially about space. 
space and rockets and uh, stuff happening in space, <laughs> lasers and stuff like that. I thought it was really cool, science fiction stuff. <laughs> and light somehow was a a way to work with that. You can kind of work w- with the stuff you think is fascinating. I didn't know anything about it really, mm. so I started slowly to try to understand it, but. The main reason was still storytelling. Mm. That was what was dri- driving my curiosity. How can you use this medium to show something or put something in a different mood or change the atmosphere or yeah. whatever? Yeah. Uh, so in the beginning, uh, it was really like taking these baby steps into trying to understand the mm. medium. Um, and I still don't. <laughs> it's becoming more and more complex, of course, yeah. uh, the further you dig into it. But um, what really fascinates me is that it never seems to uh, amaze me mm. what is possible and how how light is is at the kind of the fundament of what we understand, how we understand the world. Mm. And during the last couple of years i've been fascinated by the idea that we don't see anything at all we we live in a kind of a virtual reality every one of us mm. we kind of we we make our own simulation mm-hmm. inside our uh, limbic system and uh, the simulation can be quite different i think and it's also culturally Mm-hmm. embedded so it's both a, a physical thing happening like how does your system work mm. uh, do you have a do you have color blindness do you have uh, uh, some kind of eye sickness or do you have a hearing problem or i don't know but also it depends on on very much on what you're taught to look at mm-hmm. and how you're taught to look at the world and how what you're actually looking for mm. so it's also what you're trying to anticipate and this i just find it highly fascinating so we we are actually when we do uh, uh, performing arts this is what why i do performing arts we are, we are manipulating these systems mm. and trying to i don't know what we're trying to do <laughs> with because th- there are so many approaches in the beginning, I was very much like, oh, the light should always support the story and uh, what we're trying to do. But I'm not so sure anymore. Mm. Um, there are many other ways. That's maybe also why I find darkness so interesting. Because you, in order to try to understand light, you have to actually start where it doesn't exist or mm. it's not seen mm. to under- try to understand what it really is. And... Uh, also the fact that we spend so much of our cognitive uh, capacity on trying to uh, compute the information that is coming to us mm. from uh, instance light sources it's just one of yeah five senses mm-hmm. that are in all the research material I've looked at uh, everybody agrees on that it, it, it takes up a lot of our um mental capacity mm. and and it also makes sense because it uh, light has so much information yeah. embedded in it yeah. uh, compared to sound for instance uh, just yeah an easy comparison mm. um, that fascinates me a lot yeah 
It's interesting that you brought up the the whole um, like acculturated aspect of it because we talk a lot about this also with the body and and about the body, but also like how the senses are actually just formed through the culture, not just by biology, which mm. which is kind of what we're taught at school. Um, this the way you're you're being introduced to the to the senses is that everybody has the same information mm. and everybody has more or less the same understanding but that's mm. really culturally shaped as you said and it's just so so interesting to to put this into perspective and then be like okay so because we talk about illusions as well and how illusions that trick the eye for example that they don't work uh, all over the world the same way and that's that's so fascinating because when once you know that then it really helps you also kind of try to open up a little bit and be like, okay, so this is what I was taught to look at. Mm. Can I look at it in a different way? Or what is the information that I'm missing out because I am so used to looking for something particular? Mm. Yeah. So that's really nice to that you just to brought this angle. up. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But it's also to do with evolution. Mm. I, I think or that's what science is pointing at, that... Uh, the evolution of, for instance, uh, eyes, the organs of seeing, um, have has happened over, of course, a very long period of time. Mm -hmm. But uh, the strategies of, of seeing are quite different from different uh, creatures. Mm. And also uh, how it developed, I think, is, is quite fascinating. Um, And of course, some is a biological thing. A lot, in my perspective, has to do with geographic location. Mm -hmm. So where are you placed on this planet? Mm. And what is actually really necessary to develop? Which systems are necessary to develop? And also, what kind of uh, sensoric input are you um, being uh, exposed to? Yeah. So if you, if you, if for instance, grew up in space, I think that will happen, in, not in in a very, maybe in a hundred years. People will grow up in space, be born in space, live in space. They will have a very different perspective on light. Mm -hmm. It will mean something very different mm -hmm. to them. Um, imagine you're on the space station mm. uh, in space around the Earth. You see the sun's sunrise over the Earth. I don't know how many times a day. I think it takes 45 minutes to kind of circle the Earth once. So it's many sunrises and sunsets, <laughs> but it's very different because it's it's just the Earth blocking the sun yeah. out yeah. from your view. So it's, it's what doesn't make sense. <laughs> Something very different, and and so it, it gives you a whole new kind of perspective on what a sunset is and what a sunrise is. Mm. And this is just an extreme yeah. example, mm -hmm. yeah. But it's very different if you live at the Arctic Circle or if you live at the equator, mm -hmm. just yeah. for instance. If you grow up in a city where there is smog. Mm -hmm. You don't see the blue sky, for instance, in the same way, and you, all this. No. There's been this movement here in Denmark and in the Scandinavian culture uh, countries about kind of Nordic food, Nordic light is also yeah. a thing, yeah, Nordic yeah. design, stuff like this. Yeah, You're trying, you know, people trying to find out. But there is a special light in in the Scandinavian mm -hmm. countries. It's different from you could say. Uh, Mediterranean light, yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> or whatever, and and there's different ways of using it culturally. Yeah, 
Uh, for instance, uh, you go inside uh, in the Mediterranean. It has a different purpose to go inside than here. Mm. Of course, you go to find the cold. Mm-hmm. to actually shut out the light. We talked about this yesterday. It's so interesting because I lived in Greece and then now I'm living here and <laughs> I'm also um, I'm experiencing also this like different type of daylight mm. uh, in the winter time and in the summertime now. It's uh, for me something very unusual to have so much daylight for so long such an on such an early hour and such a late hour and Yeah, yeah, the it, opposite in the winter. Exactly. Like so much darkness and not a lot yeah. of yeah. sunlight. So also this, how much it also affected me without me realizing what it was that affected me until I started to think about, oh, well, there is such a huge difference from yeah. my previous experience. And that mm. just changes, of course, also how active or non-active I am and, and how I react to the environment. And mm. that was very fascinating. And it, it also changes a whole society because mm. how how do you have to plan ahead what what activities do you do in the summer yeah. what activities do you do in the winter in the mm. fall in or do you even have uh, seasonal changes yeah all this mm-hmm. and and uh, i used to to say the i talked to my students about this at the school said there's a reason why ikea was invented in sweden You know, people have time to look at their walls. <laughs> you know, they sit inside for a long time during the winter and something has to happen. Yeah. yeah? <laughs> and and it's just, it makes sense that it wasn't invented in somewhere where you spend a lot of your time outside. in the outside. Mm. Yeah. There maybe you invent mm. something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To have to do with outdoor activities. Mm. So yeah. it's it's just, it just makes sense. And it's... Um, uh, i think I've always been interested in how stuff works. Mm. Kind of how does stuff work? Mm-hmm. How does humanity work? Mm-hmm. Why are we here at this time in space? And uh, all that knowledge and and uh, yeah, what has been kind of generated throughout time history mm. is for me. It's, it's just interesting to to dig into it and try to understand why people behave like they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. Theater, in particular, a kind of traditional theater, is very much about that. Yeah. Mm. Trying to to figure out what are we doing and yeah. why are we doing it. Yeah. I talked to uh, one of my uh, research partners from the Niels Bohr Institute, from the Dark Cosmology Center, uh, Anja Andersen, uh, about this. And she said, we are colleagues, we're doing the same. We are trying to find the 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 meaning of life by looking into space. You're doing the same, you're just looking inside people. <laughs> just looking the other way. <laughs> and she was, actually, for me, that made a lot of sense. Uh, she was part of my my research on my uh, darkness, my first darkness project. Yeah. Should we dive into the pool of darkness? Yeah. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> yes. Um, so you know a little bit about our research on darkness as well and uh, we just wanted to to ask how how you started working with darkness where does where does this uh, interest of darkness and maybe also uh, maybe even also starting to tell a little bit about darkness in itself as a mm. as a concept mm. yeah yeah it's I, i really like the story about how i got into the research because it's 
it's uh, as much to do with uh, mistakes mm. and faults and thing go- things going wrong. And I think this is very important to understand or to remember that when something breaks, it actually can be something very good. <laughs> <laughs> something very good can come out of mistakes or faults or what we call them. Um, I don't know, five, five, six years ago, uh, the school, the the school I work at, uh, had this huge uh, change. We went from being a, what you call that, a practical, more like a practice, practice-based school. We, we went through the accreditation of the Bologna process, mm. and uh, we changed into a bachelor and candidate system. Like, yeah, you're part of that. You know. <laughs> For listeners that are not uh, from around here, Denmark, a candidate means master program. Just clarifying this. Yes. And um, so the school had to change its whole, uh, kind of its whole structure. And uh, we had to change our knowledge base. So instead of only being based on praxis, that was what it used to be. Mm. It was also now uh, supposed to be uh, based on artistic uh, research. So there would be a praxis base and a research base. And we were all, uh, all the teachers were told, now it's time to start researching. And please come up with a topic. (laughs) And I was like, what? I work with light. And people were like, yeah, you can do some interesting research on light. I was like, no, 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 no. This is never going to work. Because if anything has been researched, it's light. And the people we're talking about is like Niels Bohr, (laughs) Albert Einstein, uh, and these people. Yeah. Yeah? So you kind of get a little bit scared when somebody says research into light. Of course, there's theatrical lighting, but it just seemed small. (laughs) Yeah. Because this topic is like huge. Mm. And people in the sound department, oh, yeah, we can do a lot of research on sound. And they had all kinds of interesting projects. And my leader at the school at that point at that t- point in time was always like yeah yeah i have lots of ideas and stuff what what do you think i was like i have no idea <laughs> i'm not really into light like that huh? i don't know what to do so a year went by i was still being pressured and people were like come on we have an idea and i was like well, starting time trying to write down stuff but i had no idea so a year more <laughs> went by two years and my internet uh, web page crashed. Yeah, there was some kind of update on my server and then nothing worked. And I was like, oh, I have to fix my website because I was working uh, freelance outside of the school at that time. So, and I actually use it a lot as a portfolio. Mm-hmm. So I got to my webmaster, we got the, the problem fixed and we had to re, uh, kind of rebuild the whole website. And so he told me, oh, yeah, you have to rebuild. You have to find pictures for your gallery again. I was like, oh, okay, I have to go through all of my stuff, all my old stuff. And I started looking through all my pictures from previous productions I've done, mm. performances. And then all of a sudden, I realized that these pictures are very dark. It's like, it's very dark here. And also <laughs> here, and they look kind of similar. <laughs> and it was always some kind of shadow or darkness in the picture that was kind of a central thing for the image. I was like, why do I do this? Why do I why do I work with this kind of aesthetics? Mm-hmm. Why does this kind of aesthetic interest me? 
Why is there not a lot of light, a lot of lamps and a lot of stuff going mm. on? It's kind of actually quite minimalistic and dark. Um, so it kind of dawned on me that darkness is a thing and it's quite fascinating, but not only as darkness itself, just like turning off the light, mm. but also in the sense of what does darkness mean? What does it mean to be uh, enlightened or put in darkness also as a symbol and a metaphor? Yeah. And at the same time, I was very interested in dialogue. I have been researching a lot into dialogue because dialogue for me is a tool for teaching and a tool of working. So I was kind of also interested in looking into this. So I got this idea of why not try to have people speaking together, having a dialogue in complete darkness mm. and see how that would change the dialogue. Maybe we could actually meet each other in a new way and have new voices heard. Mm. Um, and also, what does darkness mean to different people? Yeah. How does it influence their lives? Uh, how do they understand it? Do they work with it? So that was actually what I set out to to try to understand. So my, my quest was to, to find different people uh, that work with different uh, approaches to their profession and have them talk in darkness together about how darkness, kind of reflecting on it. Mm. Uh, but there was also something really important for me, and that was that they should not um, prepare. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah? They should speak out from darkness, also in themselves. Mm-hmm. can't really explain it very shortly, but it, <laughs> it's, it's this thing that when you really start to think and reflect on what you're saying, something new might happen. Maybe we'll just sit in darkness for an hour or two and no, nobody will say anything. <laughs> that hasn't happened yet. Uh, the setup was uh, to go into total darkness with around 20 people where two people would be invited and these two people would be the kind of uh, experts and they would be invited so they they didn't know each other. That was the premises. Um they w- would be asked to talk for 20 minutes each about their profession uh, and darkness mm. and reflect on that. And after a 20-minute period, there would be a sound, so the new 20 minutes w- were gone, and the other person would take over. And after 40 minutes, they were, would have a conversation, a dialogue mm. for 20 minutes. And after that, the whole room would try to have a dialogue <laughs> in darkness about what we just heard, mm. a reflection. Yeah. Um, we did this three three times, in the first three uh, kind of dialogues in darkness. And uh, I've been trying to raise money to continue this, also to do it on a stage in a theater. Uh, haven't done it yet, but I'm still working on it. Uh, but also working on it from a from a new perspective now, where we are more, I'm I'm becoming more and more curious about people, uh, not inviting experts, but inviting everybody yeah. to share their uh, his stories about darkness, yeah. uh, 
because that's quite interesting. You've been trying it yourself. Yes. I've been experimenting on you. <laughs> uh, but also starting to navigate darkness, yeah. uh, experiencing how it is to walk in darkness and sit in darkness and, yeah, do different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm still very curious on this and, and how we can use it. I see it uh, very much as a reflection space mm. and a space where you can develop new ideas. Yeah. And where you can actually get more uh, cognitive thinking ability <laughs> because you take away information yeah. from your visual system. And for me, it's liberating. It it really gives me headspace. Yeah. Yeah. yeah? Uh, that's so true. Yeah, that resonates. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we were also wondering, like, would it be possible to, like, scan the brain activity that is happening in darkness like what Mm -hmm. are the changes Mm -hmm. that are happening when you are in complete darkness and yeah when when your sensorial input is just different and then yeah also when you say about talking or reflecting or introspection in the dark like we we also use dialogue in some form and um or or communication in general actually how is communication in the dark in general And yeah, it's just interesting what happens physically, but it would also be very interesting to figure out what happens neurologically. Mm. Mm. I'm just curious to hear if uh, did you like did you encounter any findings of uh, of how people talk with each other that was different if the if it would have been in a light mm. uh, lit space? Yeah, I I think. We, if we should have done this uh, podcast in the real way, we should have done it in darkness, of course, <laughs> yes. total darkness. You can do that maybe next time. You'll we'll see. But what often happens is that people start to speak slowly yeah. and uh, listen. Of course, you can't see your your peers, so you have to listen. Uh, and the sound of your own voice somehow also changes. Mm. Uh, and you become much more aware of what you're actually saying. <laughs> uh, so th- I think that's also why people tend to slow down. Yeah. Uh, you're reflecting more on your words. Uh, we talked a little bit about it before we started the interview, this of translocutionality. Yeah. Uh, it's a, a concept where you 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 actually don't know what you're thinking before you say it out loud. Mm. And in doing that, you actually understand your own thought processes. Mm-hmm. And uh, this corresponds very much to um, to uh, some of the research I've been doing into dialogue about... Uh, yeah, it's actually connected to quantum physics. <laughs> <laughs> And we shouldn't go very much into quantum physics, but uh, there is this uh, very interesting... There was a very interesting... Uh, professor uh, David Bohm who actually worked with uh, Albert Einstein and mm. Niels Bohr mm. uh, and were, were in the beginning of the uh, quantum physics period in the uh, 40s and 50s and 60s and he got very much into interested in dialogue and what dialogue means and especially because Niels Bohr and Einstein didn't have a dialogue they actually split up There was a split in the in in the in the science community, uh, uh, and people were going into two factions. And he wanted to kind of trying to to make them talk together again. Uh, 
because he he experienced also that in quantum physics um, atoms and uh, particles somehow communicate and this is really strange mm. and and we we don't know what that communication is about we only see the result and it's a little bit like this i don't know my thoughts before i speak them mm-hmm. then i un- maybe understand the meaning by hearing it mm-hmm. again and it it gets into this kind of feedback yeah. loop mm-hmm. and maybe the same thing is happening all the time to the world yeah the idea of that we that temperature does not exist before we measure it <laughs> very strange yeah but it's actually proven and and so it's it's a fundamental for me dialogue is a fundamental understand of it's an understanding of how everything actually works uh, and and for me it's the only way of uh, teaching and also doing uh, performance arts because there's a dialogue going on between the performers the material and the audience mm-hmm. and the space yeah. and yeah so it's a huge dialogue it's also like you you work on some project some piece but when it meets the audience it changes <laughs> mm. oh yes and it's not just you changing it it's actually the audience changing it and also giving it meaning yeah. and for me that's really important and and what is the core of performing arts mm. or else what we'll be doing it, it would be visual arts instead or it would be something different where where that interaction is not of course it happens in visual arts as well but it happens in a different way because mm. the 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 audience do not change the mona lisa Mm-mm. when they're looking at it of course they perceive it differently yeah. and read different th- stuff into it but they do not change the artwork in the making yeah uh, in a performance situation that is a different yeah. story yeah yeah and every dialogue you you change your how how you say things in in order to how it's perceived mm. or how it is how how the reaction will get and there is this constant feedback feedback mm. loop yeah if you're interested yeah. in a dialogue yeah or else it becomes a discussion yeah, yeah. and yeah, that's yeah. a very different thing yeah that's a, a game of winning somehow for me mm. yeah and i've never been interested very much in discussions because yeah you can try to prove you're right or something but i'm much more interested in learning yeah. and being in doubt yes and for me darkness is the ultimate place of doubt yes. yeah yes it's, you know it's it's also scary Yeah. yeah, you're in doubt. You can't see anything. No. Is there a wall? Is there a hole? Am I going to <laughs> fall or trip or whatever? Uh, how how long have I spent here yeah. in the darkness? Time stops making sense. Yeah. It's also there that I found out that light is time. Mm-hmm. Time is... All we know about time is connected with perceiving light. Mm-hmm. Yeah? It makes sense. The earth revolves around the sun. It takes a certain amount of time. It turns around itself. Yeah, yeah. Everything is connected to that kind of periods mm. of light and darkness or changes uh, between light and darkness. A constant fade somehow. And so only place in the universe where where time does not exist in that way is in a black hole. Yeah. And and that's why black holes are even more fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and also the ultimate kind of 
dark place to go and explore. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, I'm just so happy that they finally kind of proved the existence yeah. of black holes this year. It's fantastic. Yeah, they took a picture of it. Yeah. What? <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, that's why I really love these people at Nitsbor Institute, the mm. Dark Cosmology Center. Uh, the only thing they do is research into what you cannot see and how <laughs> it affects us. And, and, and it's, uh, you should talk to those people as well. Yeah. Yeah. I can recommend it. Thank Fantastic. you. Fantastic. Thank you. But you also mentioned like um, darkness uh, as a place where you don't know what is going to happen. And we talked to you a little bit about like, we're very intrigued with about this concept of going into the dark and and then not seeing but you still see something mm. and this seeing is different and there are some visuals that appear and they, it's called after images or there's also other names for it and what do you know about that and can you tell us a bit more mm. um, about this this also maybe how how it functions like what is the process <laughs> <laughs> first of all i would say that this is something that is not fully understood in science. Yeah. Uh, every time I ask somebody and read about it, there are different views upon it. <laughs> um, so there are these really uh, classic after images where you can watch something, a picture in a book, for instance. Goethe was, for instance, very much interested in this. And then you can close your eyes and then you see an opposite, mm -hmm. kind of an... an inverted image and this is this is uh, this can be explained you have your receptors your receptors are being uh, uh, hit by light and the light is exciting them it it sets off a chemical reaction when you take that uh, light away there will still be a reaction going on mm -hmm. but it will slowly fade out because yeah. the reaction like any chemical reaction will if you stop putting energy into the the system, it will slowly fade out. So mm -hmm. this is what you see. The brighter the light you saw before, the longer this after image will stay with you. Mm. And it will often seem like a, a, yeah, a reverse yeah. kind of uh, light places will become dark and, and vice versa. So these are very easy to explain. It's a, it's a phenomenological uh, thing and it, it, it's uh, something that's been researched into. But what happens then when you're in complete darkness and you start seeing <laughs> mm -hmm. stuff? Mm. And there are many uh, blind people that also describe that they see shapes and they see they something they have something called the red mist. We kind of see this mist of red reddishness mist. They describe it as, and also many many people that are blind are not completely blind. Yeah. It's mm. very s seldom actually that you are living in complete darkness. Mm. Uh, many people perceive some kind of light sensations. So what is this that we see then in darkness? So first of all, we have to understand that uh, what we see does not depend on light. Yeah, yeah? We can dream. Mm -hmm. We can still perceive light in dream. We can see images in dreams. Mm. So that is the proof that all that we see is a simulation. <laughs> okay? So, yeah, and it's it's actually quite fascinating. If you close your eyes, we can try it now. Okay. We don't have darkness, but we can mm. close our eyes. Let's do that. And then if I tell you a story, just uh, 
a little story. Uh, I'm standing in front of my door uh, in my house. My door is white. It's made of wood. It has a handle of uh, brass. So it's like looks a little bit like gold. So I open the door. I'm, I'm leaving my apartment. But outside, there isn't the staircase. The staircase used to be there. There's a green field of grass. It's fantastic. And it stretches all the way to the horizon. And the sky is blue. And it's really this, you know, deep, deep blue. And it just goes on forever. But in the far distance, I can see a tree. It's a, it's a big tree. I think it's big, but it's far away. But it's strange, because the tree seems to be red. <laughs> and as I'm walking towards it, I see that it's, it's like, it's, it's not only red, it's like this, it, this liquid is oozing out of the tree, and it's kind of brownish red. Yeah, and you can open your eyes now. <laughs> <laughs> so you saw colors, I imagine. And you saw a world, and it's fantastic. <laughs> This is what we can do. We can simulate stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. And I just made it up. <laughs> didn't exist. You saw it, maybe. But you saw something. Maybe you didn't see the same thing. Yeah. But Probably. you saw something. <laughs> and I was also, of course, using metaphors of stuff you knew. I could have started to say stuff that you had never experienced and if you would have to imagine that mm. so I could have made something up that does not exist mm. yeah. this is incredible yes. we have this simulator <laughs> and we're just starting to to understand it a little bit you know like you you, you mentioned it yourself what if we scan the brain yeah. to see what it's <laughs> doing that's cool yeah we can do that and we can see that it changes our behavior to be in darkness and light But if I was telling you that story, you would also see something happening in the brain. Yeah. Uh, probably looking like you, what if you were watching images of it. Yeah. Could be interesting if you also watched the movie and saw exactly the same image and just did a, a brain scan. So we don't know <laughs> what happens, but our our uh, uh, cognitive system is constantly trying, of course, in darkness also to help us mm. to navigate that darkness. Mm. And um, maybe some things, of course, we imagine, but uh, it's also been, there's been talk about some people are capable of seeing beyond the visual light spectrum, <laughs> like seeing infrared light and seeing ultraviolet light. Uh, maybe in a hundred years that would be normal. I don't know. You will, or you will get an implant where you actually will be able to switch vision mm -hmm. when it's needed. You know, okay, now today it's in this situation it's much better to see infrared because it's dark or I don't know. Um, but it's it's we're getting to a place where we can start to manipulate with this, and we we are getting to places where we will start to tap into our neural functions mm. um, and and uh, it's maybe not uh, science fiction that in 50 years you will be able to buy yourself a chip where you can change your uh, perception system how it mm. works and just yeah there are people researching into this <laughs> and really really putting a lot of money into it um, And uh, yeah, I'm just really curious where this will take us as a species, yeah. species, 
Because I think there will be at certain at a certain point there will be a divide. You will have to decide if you want to go bionic, yeah. mm. if you want to go that way. We are already augmented by mm. our telephones, our, our the internet and stuff. But at some point you will have to decide if you want to go really online. Mm. And, and maybe this will be have to be decided already by your parents yeah. in a very early age. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's actually already happening a little bit. You know, parents saying, no, no, no. No telephones, no yeah. internet, no nothing. You can decide when you become older. Yeah. Uh, if you if you look at the people in Silicon Valley that are inventing a lot of this stuff, a lot of them sending their kids to Waldorf schools. Oh yeah, because they don't use technology there. Mm. Yeah. And what they are they are saying is that it's much more important that you learn to be creative, that mm-hmm. you learn to think by yourself. Mm. Because how long will it take you to learn to operate a mobile phone? Yeah, yeah. an super hour. Fast, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. super fast. Everybody can learn, yeah. and the technology will become easier and easier. You mm. don't need to learn it, mm. but to learn to be creative and to just experience the world and get ideas, yeah. this takes time. The moment you said that we will potentially have these like chips that allow us to to change our vision. Like, of course, I'm very excited for this, but also a part of me thought, yeah, but don't take darkness away from me mm. because mm. I that's where the creativity happens. And like also our next question would be if you think that darkness is a catalyst for creativity or what else uh, uh, darkness can incite within us. So because for us, mm. uh, that's really connected. I don't know if you agree with that, but. When I started my research, I was very much into this quest for rehab- rehabilitating darkness. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's oh, it's a it's a scary stuff, and that's oh, it's all the where the, all the bad stuff lives. Yeah, mm. the monsters, the shame, the yeah. all this stuff. And I've been, I've been, um, I've been, uh, I've been. Thinking about that, I, th- I just thought it was a shame that darkness had this very bad reputation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but always, I've always found the 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 evil characters, the villains, the interesting ones. Yeah, <laughs> and they are interesting. They are much yes. more interesting. They're tapping into this energy because it's a source of kind of energy and creativity. Yeah, yeah? when you see uh, super villains. They always have these fantastic plans, how to take over the world, how <laughs> yeah. to destroy stuff. It's really creative stuff, yeah, yeah, going on. So, yeah, darkness has to do with creativity and mm. it has to do with forbidden knowledge, mm. you know, the dark arts. Yeah. Um, and it has to do with death for mm. me, destruction and death. Yeah. And and I think the what I've discovered is that the fear of darkness is maybe the... For, for many people, it is the fear of the nothingness, mm-hmm. of there is nothing. Yeah. Maybe there is nothing. Maybe it just stops. That's it. Wasn't anything. Mm. But this was it. Um, and and it's it's super scary. <laughs> and and it, but it's also somehow a relief for me mm. that what you have is this, and yeah, you have to get the, the best out of it. <laughs> And darkness can be your friend. Yeah. Doesn't have to be. Of course, it, it's a problem if you are, um, uh, 
you're walking in the woods, you have to try to find your way, and there's a big tiger mm. uh, trying to eat you. Then <laughs> darkness is a bit of a problem. Yeah. yeah? Uh, <laughs> but but it can also be that refuge. It can be that place where new ideas really can, uh, where, where your inspiration can come from. Yeah. Yeah. And it can also be that place where you are allowed to to talk about things that are very hard. Mm-hmm. Um, I find it much more int- easier in darkness to actually talk about anything. Mm. Anything can g- goes in darkness. Yeah. I've heard incredible stories in darkness and, and people afterwards also told me I wouldn't have told these stories mm. normally if mm. to all these people <laughs> if they were looking at me. Yeah. But this, this freedom it gives you to be whoever you are somehow. There is a sense of connectivity in the dark, right? Mm. Even yeah. like you don't know how the people looked, maybe, or if they're looking at you, what they're doing, and you don't know where they are located, and yet you feel you feel connected. Mm. And I I very much appreciate that possibility to enter a space where I don't judge wh- myself and I don't judge somebody else, and that frees me. And that allows me to connect more mm. to these people mm. and to the situation and whatever is happening, actually. Mm. But also to have a true dialogue yeah. where you try not to judge what is being said mm. and what you're looking at in advance. And this is what Boom, I just mentioned before, was into. He was into doing these dialogue groups where you would meet. He would say, for instance, you would meet 20 to 25 to 40 people and you would have to meet on a regular basis there shouldn't be a topic of talking. You should just meet to talk. Mm. And slowly the group will get to know each other. And maybe after a year, <laughs> this is what Boom says, it takes a long time, you could have a true dialogue mm. without anybody kind of driving it and just talking about different topics that you just bring up. And it could be a true dialogue. And I think darkness could actually help that dialogue further. Mm-hmm where you could take that next step. And Boom also talks a, a lot about this, uh, that that we have assumptions all the time. I also yeah. talked to you about yeah. this earlier. And of course we live by uh, assumptions, but in darkness they somehow disappear. Yeah. Mm. And that is uh, invigorating. Yeah. It's it's fantastic. And you can try you can actually try to free your mind from a lot of these assumptions that you have that are cultural. Yeah. Mm. Some of them are cultural, some of them are behavioral, yeah. and a lot of them are political, yeah. I would say. Uh, so for me that darkness is also a maybe a true democratical space, a more <laughs> democratical space and also a radical space for thinking. Mm. And Boom was interested in how can new ideas, original ideas, pop up? Yeah. And how can we as a human species, how can we develop and find out what is really important? Yeah. Why are we doing stuff? <laughs> Why is progress needed? Why? Yeah. I don't know. Is it not needed? Maybe it's not. Could we do something else? <laughs> and if we want to stop uh, uh, destroying ourselves and the planet, we need to start looking and really looking not just seeing yeah 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 and in darkness that is maybe possible mm. because you have to look in a very different way and yeah. and you're actually you're actually maybe for the first time 
really listening to what people are saying. Yeah. But it takes time to to also see your own assumptions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they become more, I think, for me in darkness, they become more clear. Yeah. And then I try to suspend them. This is what Bohm talks about. It's okay to have assumptions. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But you have to question them. Yeah. You have to question everything. You have to question, is this my own assumptions? Where do they come from? Do mm-hmm. they come from experience? Yeah. Is it something I was told? Is yeah. it something I read? Is it something that maybe a religion told mm-hmm. me? Is it the truth? Does truth exist? Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> my God. And, 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 and for me, it's really, really important to be in doubt again. This is the yeah. doubt again. But it can be a curious doubt. Yeah. You don't have to doubt anything and just be uh, completely passive. Yeah. And can't, you can't do anything because oh, nothing is right. But you can have this curious doubt and maybe this curious doubt will lead you into trying to do stuff. Might not work. Could be a failure. Yeah. But dare to do it. And then maybe if we're lucky, something original could happen. Yeah. And original ideas do not happen very often. Mm. And when they do, this is also Bohm's uh, description of an original idea. If it's truly original, it will change the world. Mm. <laughs> and from beyond that, the world will be different. Yeah. Uh, and this is, this is, I think many artists are struggling with this, that they think they have to do something really original, mm-hmm. which is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> and you just have to know that it, does not really happen that often and when if it does it's nearly a miracle (laughs) (laughs) it's something really precious Um, and for me finding darkness as a tool of understanding myself and my practice as an artist Mm. that was an original thing for me Um, and also when I do lighting design I look I look at how do I uh, compose the darkness? Mm. So where do I place the shadows? Uh, how do the light fade? How do, how do, do the intensity change? Mm. Um, can the darkness be just a tiny moment, uh, a movement mm-hmm. again? Um, and, I, and, and I'm continuously being inspired by it and how to use it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's kind of you found this will that uh, it, it's a never ending inspiration yes, kind of that you can tap into yeah. and and before that I was actually before I I did this artistic research I was actually a little bit feeling I was going in circles mm. with what I was doing mm. it's kind of uh, done that uh, done it again uh, <laughs> I'm I'm kind yes. of you know. I'm imitating myself and it's boring and it's, oh, I'm not creative. And uh. and after I did this research, I'm like, it's never going to be that again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe I do that. I put that lamp again there where I, I like it, but it will be different. Yeah. Something different will happen. And it might not be uh, changing the world, <laughs> but for me, it's enough. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe I'll go one step deeper into the darkness next time and mm-hmm. I'll explore something new and 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 I can constantly um, uh, explore uh, different um, approaches to this yeah. so it's 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 um, it's actually I think it's actually been 
precisely what it was meant to be here at the school, that when you start to do this artistic research, it will influence your practice. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it will influence your teaching, mm-hmm. and it will hopefully change the thinking of our students as well, and that will change how we we work with performing arts in yeah. the future. Because I my biggest hope is that the students here will carry this knowledge from the school into practice and change by doing it, mm-hmm. and and so it does not become something that just lives in in us teachers and then maybe gets written in some kind of book (laughs) on some kind of dusty shelf i don't know where in sub this knowledge it has to it has to develop and grow and it has to like you're doing now uh, spread this knowledge because it's it's important for us as i think as as species (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that if we want to to develop we need to start to reflect more yeah. and find these reflection spaces. Mm-hmm. We talk so much about how uh, the practice that we're developing is is also the practice itself and also artistic um, output that we, we will create will instill a sense of, of transformation, of change into the participant or or the the audience member who will be automatically participants, um, I guess, in in a broader meaning of it. Because, yeah, we also think that it's so important to to allow yourself at least the doubt or the curiosity to enter. And and that through that you you might not be completely completely transformed, of course not, but that it instills this this curiosity and this sense of, okay, I take this with me outside of this space, Mm. and then it Mm. can be infused also into other parts of my world. So it it shouldn't be contained in this safe four walls that it might happen, but really, once you exit, there is something that remains within you and that then resonates outside of the space. And I really believe that, of course, when, when you're teaching, you have much more possibility to do that um, because you are, are teaching over uh, a longer period of time the same people but still even within um, a performance itself at least we hope to be able to to do that if it works that's another question but that's uh, definitely an aim yeah just to shift the attention yeah and also as we talked about before of this um perceiving something in a new way mm. and that that's possible in darkness that it is possible to to experience something that you might be surprised about or be even more curious to buy about and to let all of these um uh, preconceived notions like yeah disappear mm. yeah. but also let voices that are not normally heard mm. be yes. heard yeah 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 we we talk about new encounters of mm-hmm. of all levels because there is such a strong um potential for people to to stay within the same group of people because there's they know a particular they have particular values that they share or they they're connected through aesthetics or whatever but when you remove all that then you can actually allow new encounters to happen because you will not see is this person someone that I would usually approach because they look in a particular they look a particular way so yeah it's really beautiful this 
this, okay, it's dark and now we ha everything is new. Everything is unknown and I just have to allow it to unfold um, the experience, the, the encounter. Mm. Mm. I would really much like to try next time I'm working with this um, dialogues in darkness that maybe I place my audience in the darkness without they, s they are seeing the yes. other participants. Yeah. Yes, uh, I haven't tried this yet because I really like the build up of mm -hmm. how you get into the darkness but mm, maybe that's something I, I would like to be more curious about mm, yeah. but then it's a different it's a different approach uh, there's also the the transformation from going from light to darkness mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. are quite interesting and how you lose yourself in that transformation I've, I and I see that also as a ritual because yeah. um, others have, have done this I know, don't know if you've seen this Coca-Cola commercial <laughs> no. Oh, it's really yeah. You should see it. It you should just Google it. It's something like darkness and Coca Cola, yeah. And it's I think they made it a couple of years ago uh, as a commercial in the Middle East for the Ramadan, mm -hmm. something like that. And also this of we are all equal and stuff like this. But where they put like four or five different people in a room that haven't seen each other before, and they they're supposed to have a dialogue, and then they turn on the light at the end. Mm -hmm. And they all see that they are they are not what they thought they mm, were and yeah. different skin colors and different stuff like this and we're all equal and blah 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 and let's drink some cola and be happy. Yeah. <laughs> but but the the idea is quite good uh, in itself and and this of trying to take away again the assumptions. Yeah. Um but I'm really interested in the transformation also mm. that you actually start with your assumptions mm -hmm. and then try to let go of them. Yeah. And you actually try to do it, and see that your assumptions are there, mm. and you and you actually uh, you're not tricked. Mm. Uh, it's an and something you're doing, and you're aware of you're doing it. And after you've been through that experience, hopefully that you will carry this with you in your practice in your life. Mm. That when assumptions pop up, that you will question them. Yeah. Um, it's not that we have to uh, stop about talking about darkness, but before we uh, before we finish, we'd like to talk a little bit about the five senses. Yeah. And uh, as a lighting designer, do you incorporate the senses in the work? And if so, how? Mm. And uh, I've been pondering this since yesterday you sent me the questions and I've been really thinking about that. That was a really curious question for me because I've never really thought about the other five senses in that way. So I, I went for a walk and uh, during that walk I like to walk and think. It, it makes me think in a different way. And I was like, okay, obviously I used my my vision. Uh, it's, I would say, I would say it takes up maybe 90 or 95% of of the mental capacity, what visual input is coming. Of course, for me, the hearing is very important. I base a lot of my lighting changes and the way I use light with sound. Mm. And not only soundscapes, but also maybe actors or singers. Mm -hmm. Or it could also be the movement from performers. So it, 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 I'm actually using my yeah, sound a lot. Mm. Uh, so, so hearing is a as a, a really big sense um, then the sense of I'm just going through them in a hierarchy <laughs> that I think I'm how I'm using them this is just yeah um, 
the the way I'm I'm uh, perceiving my what what do you call that sensoric input, mm-hmm. uh, your touch. Yeah. Uh, this has to do also with the I think how I perceive if I'm aware of if I'm uh, my body is um, am I in a good uh, mood uh, not bodily <laughs> do I have a, a headache uh, am I sweating mm-hmm. uh, am I comfortable is it too hot in mm-hmm. here is it too cold um, so that actually somehow influences uh, influences uh, my work but on a, in a little bit more subtle level not that I take it that much into account when I'm designing light okay. But in a performance situation where I'm actually running the lights, it's very much important. Because if you're sweating a lot and you have to push buttons, <laughs> it's actually quite hard. And if you're really nervous, it also triggers the performance, how it, how the performance is, you're actually performing. Yeah. Uh, but that's a different, I don't know if it counts as a sense of where you're sensing yourself from the inside. <laughs> Maybe it does. Maybe it's the sixth sense. Ah, <laughs> this one we have to talk about because that one I use a lot. The sense of smell, I would say not so much. Uh, and taste. This is more to do if I have something to drink <laughs> you know, during the performance. But not it does not really influence my, in that way, my artistic uh, uh, decisions. What really, really fascinates me is what I would call the sixth sense. Uh, and I would call that a combination of all the senses mm-hmm. where you have to make artistic decisions. Yeah. For me, that's a gut feeling. It's something that I I can... Of course, I can intellectually say, oh, this light has to be like this. and But I still use this kind of intuition, this kind of sixth sense on, is it the right moment now yeah. to push the button? Is it the right moment for this transition? Is it too fast? Is it too slow? Yeah. Okay, it can be like okay. It has the light has to change when the door is closing. The door is closing, and now the door is closed. Okay, mm. the light goes out. Or there is this certain sound, and the light follows this sound. Or I don't know, it could mm-hmm. be anything. But to really, really be able to judge if it's right, if I think it's working, mm-hmm. I use this. Let's call it intuition. Yeah. yeah. So it's much more that, and that can also change if there's an audience in the room. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have to draw this. When I was running shows in my earlier career, I was running a lot of shows. Others, people's designs often, and also my own later. When you're running per- the performance, you really have to f- have that sense with you when you're working with the performance every night. Yeah. Even though everything is kind of set and we have made all the cues and all the stuff, it changes. Oh, it's a little bit faster, it's a little bit slower. Maybe I have to be a little bit on top now. I have to be a little bit behind. Or Some days you don't just get into that rhythm. You have a bad day, just a bad day. You're always feeling that you're a little bit behind. Or stuff mm. like that. And also, for me, it was like also getting into that mood was very important. And that was also about perceiving, sensing, um, using your whole body, yeah. actually. Uh, in that process of of running a show, so I, I found it. I could be totally exhausted mm-hmm. after a show, even I've just been sitting on a chair pushing <laughs> a button, because yeah. it had been so. Yes. And especially when I was working uh, with improvised lighting, mm. 
And I really liked that. Especially, that was how I, I actually started working with dance, lighting for dance. Totally 100% improvised works, where the movement would be uh, improvised, the light and the sound. Oh, wow. And uh, it was a practice, of course. You had yeah. to work together as a group yeah. to get to a certain level. Yeah. And of course, there were rules, like a score, ideas, or there was a time frame. Or today, we only work with transitions or something, but mm. we never knew where it would take us mm. during the performances. And I remember we were working a whole week during this uh, and performing every night. We were just doing a performance of, of two times 15 minutes or something. And on the last evening, uh, we had this every night. We had a cue, like we have a cue for ending it. There would be a light cue and everybody would know, okay, that's the light cue. Now we have to end it. Mm -hmm. And then we would have to end it. Yeah, somebody had to end it. Time <laughs> is up. Because nobody else could know. I could watch the time and I could set the light cue and everybody knew that lamp is the light cue and it would only turn on to kind of cue that. Mm -hmm. And then on the last evening, we decided not to do that. <laughs> to see if we could just finish it in time yeah. by just feeling and working with it and stuff. Yeah. So everybody took their clocks away and we did it exactly on time yeah. and it was fantastic we also did an ending where everybody everything kind of uh, came into uh, and and into kind of clicked it clicked mm -hmm. it, that's what i the word and it was a dialogue happening yeah. between the stage the the music the audience the the lighting uh, even though there was this distance physical distance there was a, a clear dialogue mm. happening it was fantastic because you, you really felt like, okay, we created a piece that had a very high artistic level, yeah. but uh, we hadn't decided to do anything else but to practice that and show that. And I also think that, th I think that actually that is very valuable also for audiences in the future to to want to go and see performances that have this both open interpretation, but also uh, you have the awareness that it's being created right now yeah. by artists. Mm -hmm. And uh, what you see is the creation. <laughs> that is actually the, why you're coming to see this. You're yeah, actually yeah. coming to see something be created. It would be like going into an a painter's... Uh, um, Atelier. atelier and see them paint the painting as you were there doing it together maybe with them uh, so it would be an immersive experience yeah. like that and I, and I think that that is where we have to to look more into performing arts because mm -hmm. that is also where uh, computer games for instance are going yeah. I, I think yeah. movies are going to not be like movies have been. Yeah. I think people would would like that to be more much more interactive. Yes. And and also being able to um, change the outcome or mm. be part of it, be part of the creation <laughs> and also have a reflection room. Yes, absolutely. And especially I think this corona period we've been in it's very very obvious that people are are seeking uh, reflection rooms. Yeah. yeah. Just talking to the friends or meeting up or doing something together um, and also you need you need to reflect on when when stuff like this happens to a whole 
generation or mm. in a time period you're put into this limbo. Yeah. For me, it's been fantastic having time to really reflect, also really hard. But I'm a, you know, I'm an introvert. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like it. I like being alone yeah. and I like being in the dark and, and having these thoughts. But I also know the important thing is sharing. Like yeah. we talked about sharing knowledge, sharing mm -hmm. experiences. Exactly. So it doesn't make sense to only <laughs> be there alone. <laughs> Even that's where I find my energy. That's where I kind of, uh, I get, I get, um, I get really tired when I when I teach, mm -hmm. when I have to uh, work with people. Yeah, um, I also I just recharge in 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 my space always. Mm. I feel that's where I, as you said, I just get your energy. Then, then you can go back out again and mm. see people. Yeah. Mm. We also experienced in the beginning when we started practicing in darkness, we had this 24 hours in darkness mm. and that would became in, like, really, really tired. But in this small amount of time being in complete darkness and also moving, it was a, like we, we charged oh, and yeah. we had like so much energy after. And yeah. then, then you, we could go out and do... Yeah, we had days where we had eight hours of, of uh, school time and then after that we would go into the studio going like, oh, we have another two hours into the studio in darkness, we're so tired, we, our brains are so exhausted from all the, all the information we got, all the stuff we had to process all day long. And then we entered the space and it really didn't take that long for us to, to feel more energy uh, mm -hmm. rising up. And every time we exited the space, it was like renewed. We, we mm. were just going out feeling, I can, I can continue my day. I'm actually not that exhausted. Of course, arriving at home is a different thing, but this energy boost that came out of it, it's also really connected to the slowing down that you mentioned that might happen in darkness, the introspection, the different communication and the, the different way of of uh, collaborating or Not or connecting or and yeah, yeah exactly but but maybe it's it's also physio physiological you know we we normally when we put ourselves in darkness it's to sleep mm -hmm. yeah and again sleep is fantastic because it hasn't been researched that much and especially dreams and Science now look into this that, yeah, you're cleaning your system mm -hmm. of information that you've gotten through things you have experienced with your senses all day. You have to clean that system to be able to, again, to perceive, or else it will fill up. Yeah. And it's a physical process. Yeah, it's there's this liquid, right? Yes. Um, that's seeping through yeah. the brain. Mm. So maybe when we put ourselves in darkness, we're actually maybe doing that a little bit. Mm. Maybe, maybe actually starting that process. You know, we know it's a hormonal process with the, the different hormones that come into play when you're awake and when, when you're exposed to light and when you're exposed to darkness. Yeah. So maybe we're actually doing that. I think so. Uh, it's not been proven. I've not been uh, researching <laughs> into it like that. But maybe it's actually we are tapping into those processes. Yeah. A little bit like those people that are training themselves to be aware during dreaming. Yeah, yeah, and doing stuff. There, there are actually now, I know swimmers, uh, some some very uh, uh, elite swimmers are being trained into this uh, praxis where they're trained into uh, training during their sleep. Mm -hmm. yeah? yeah. So let's use the sleep as well. <laughs> yeah, for training, and it's typical human behavior. Let's optimize. Yeah, I think it's a little bit scary. Yes. 
but the idea of that you can actually continue yes. reflecting and working even though you're sleeping yeah and it is possible that is the it's been proven that it's, it's actually po possible to do that but i don't know if it's healthy <laughs> for you in any way um but i think that is that is also what the darkness can be helping you with can help help you with the processes of reflection and uh, and also by using that physio physiological phenomenon that you you have access to different hormones mm. in darkness uh, just by knowing that that's uh, that's great and as we also talked about it's quite different to be in darkness with open or closed eyes because yeah. if you close your eyes you will automatically start that introvert uh, process of going to sleep yeah. where you if you're actively looking into the darkness you will also see these after images yeah. much clearer yeah. and you your whole system will be doing something very different mm. Mm. so that's that's also very it's good to be aware of how you're practicing being in darkness because you could also just go into darkness and meditate mm -hmm. that would be very different yeah. or you have these uh, what they call them uh, sensoric uh, deprivation Depri yeah, tanks sensory, yeah. where you take away all sensoric input uh, with sound and light and touch and smell and everything mm. but this again i think this is a very different practice yes yeah yes Oh, and uh, one last uh, but also important question. Um, we would like you to name the key values of your artistic practice and um, why does this matter to you? And maybe also thinking of like a larger community. Mm. Yeah, and I think we've already been there. <laughs> so it, it is curiosity yeah. or being curious. It's a dialogue. And uh, it's failure. Mm. Dare to suck. Yes. <laughs> Dare to fail, big time. Yeah. And 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 not be so much afraid about what others might think about what you're doing. And and if it has any value, what you're doing, because it can only have value for you yourself, and then. If what you're doing is, I think, if you're interested enough in what you do, you will you will manage to make it interesting for other people. Um, but also, I think reflection hmm. is a really important value. And and learning how to reflect on your life, on experiences, and on meeting other people, and reflecting together uh, in groups. <laughs> trying to learn mm -hmm. as much as you can that is that yeah that is must be the the core values yeah i think that's a beautiful way to finish yes. to sum it up yes so embrace your failure but also your curiosity <laughs> thank you very much everyone um this was really lovely thank you Michael. and thank you for giving me this opportunity to reflect with you it was fantastic yeah so it was for us and very inspiring and thank you everyone for listening we will meet you next time